Meet Delberta Fraser, a teacher in the outdoor classroom at Omaha Nation Public School. Omaha people have this whole reservation here and lots of land. And I would like to see this generation growing their own food and making their own economy from it. So that our struggles for the past seven generations, the next seven generations will have hope and happiness in this land. See more of the story at ilovps.org. fans and welcome to another episode of the Bulls HQ podcast, the first episode of the 2017-18 NBA season. Obviously the Bulls are going through a rebuild and that has sort of led me to be a bit slack in podcast recording, wasn't even sure if I was going to record this one to be honest with you, but um, once I saw the Bulls playing, marking and looking pretty good, I felt a bit of an urge to get on and record a podcast, so Thought I'd give you my opinions on how the team has sort of been functioning through the first two games and through preseason. Obviously, wanted to touch base on the Miritic and Portis fiasco. Off-court drama never seems to leave the Bulls, no matter how many teams, no matter how many times, rather, the team's changes its players, its coaches, all that sort of stuff. There's constantly some sort of drama that follows the Bulls, so I'll be talking about that as well. And I was going to do a solo pod, but um, very impromptu pod. This podcast, this was going to be, but rather than bore you all with myself talking, I've actually got my old friend Morton Jensen on the line to talk about the Bulls' openings part of the season with me. So, Bort, um, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, Mark, doing well. How about you? Good, man. It's been a while. It's been almost this whole year, and this whole year's gone fast. It's been a while it since we talked. It's because we're all looking so much forward to the end of the world with Trump in office, so. <laughs> well, thank you for that nice bleak start to my uh, <laughs> podcast research. It, it, it's more positive that. than the Bulls, though. Is it? Is it? I don't, I don't know if it's that bleak. Well, their leading the score is shooting 29% from the field. Yeah, I know, but come on. <laughs> it's almost, it's, that's got to be better than Trump's approval rate, but. <laughs> Uh, enough political talk for, for one episode, but how you been doing, man? It's been it has been a while. It has. I, I've been doing well. Doing a lot of work over at the NBA podcast recently. Um, enjoying my. How's all that going? It's going well. Brian and Sarah and I have found a nice rhythm, and we're recording every week, sometimes more than once a week. And uh, I mean, you've been on there. You know, it's a it's a great environment, and and we'd we'll love awesome. to have you back again soon. Well, whenever I go on, Sarah's never on, so I must have the um, I must for whatever reason just shoo her away for some reason. She just doesn't want, doesn't want to be on when I'm on. But uh, yeah, look, I'll come on whenever you ever you need me. But I was listening to your one of your episodes recently, and I have to bring this up because I, I thought it was a ridiculous take, Mort. And, and, <laughs> and you know, you know, I don't throw that around loosely. But what were you thinking putting the Nets into the playoffs? Yeah, okay, I, I had a feeling you were going there. <laughs> I I have strong belief in in D'Angelo Russell. I think yeah, 
Alan Crabb is better than he showed that he was in Portland because he was sort of limited in his role, so I expected something more. I also think Demari Carroll is a lot better than what he showed in Toronto. I think there are mm-hmm. a lot of NBA caliber players there. And with the injection of veteran guys like Carroll and even Timofey Moskov to a certain extent, I know he's overpaid, but he's not a like a quote unquote bad NBA player. I, I just thought they had the right mix of young guys, veterans, and skill level, to be honest with you, because Caris Levert is good. I say a whitehead. I expected to take some positive steps forward in his development. I could just see it. And besides, it's in the East. The East is yeah. a shit show. So I'm kind of like, you know, the Nets could make it. Um, now with Jeremy Lin going down, that is off the table in my mind right now. I'm, I would be happy. Sure. I would be very happy. And I would take the win. I would claim victory if they win 35 games. Uh, we'll see what happens. If, if They might not. They might not even crack 25. But Lynn going down was obviously a huge blow to that uh, prediction. Yeah. Look, uh, I, I thought I thought it was a uh, very ambitious prediction that you, you raised, but I, I just wanted to basically poke fun at you because, um, like I said, we haven't talked in a while. When I listened to it, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? But look, I like Brooklyn as well. But um, that's one team that I think will be better than the Bulls out east, even after this injury. Um, I'm not too sure if you've been following the Bulls. Obviously, you and I, for those that are aware, used to do a Bulls podcast together back in the day. Um, And obviously, we'd no longer do that anymore, but we still catch up and talk Bulls whenever we can. Have you been following the Bulls? I know you've sort of tried to distance yourself from the team, but... um, how how much have you been paying attention to the team, and I guess more more uh, pointedly to the off court drama that uh, can never sort of seem to to, <laughs> yeah. to leave the Bulls alone. Well, obviously, um, you can't really avoid the whole Bobby Portis Nikola Mirotic confrontation because I well, mean, I mean Mirotic definitely couldn't avoid it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, but I've, I've watched both games uh, early on here in the season as primarily because of Laurie Markkinen. I'm very mm-hmm. interested in NBA rookies. I always have been. Uh, for example, I'm yeah. just in love with Donovan Mitchell in Utah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm aware of that one. Yeah. yeah, you are. I know. I think everyone on Twitter knows that Morton has a batshit crazy opinion on Donovan Mitchell. But yeah, yeah, yeah we'll see. Um, so I'm really curious about you know, Markinen specifically. So I've been really happy that he's played 35 minutes a game because that mm-hmm. means a lot of Markinen. Uh If he yes. had been playing like 18, 20 minutes at night, I probably wouldn't have caught both games. But given that Portis and Nico are out, I'm thinking, you know, great opportunity. And, you know, now that Robin Lopez is draining triples, I mean, I, this this thing might be fun. I mean, Justin Holiday shooting 29% from the field. So the tank is on. Denzel Valentine still can't finish a layup. It's it's just fun, man. It's just so fun. <laughs> well, look, we're going to the team in it uh, shortly, and particularly marketing, because obviously he's. Oh yeah. I guess what most Bulls fans, Bulls fans rather, are paying attention to um, this season. I guess he is the shining light. But before we move on to the team itself and how the players and the team is sort of. Uh, going about it thus far this season. I just wanted to get your quick take on the Portis and Miritich situation. I've sort of been pretty vocal about it on Twitter, um, letting 
my followers know what I think about it. But uh, yeah, interested to hear what your take is on it because I feel like I've got a fairly strong opinion. But um, interested to hear what you think of the situation, how it unfolded, and, and ultimately the eight game suspension that Bobby Portis received by the Bulls. So I think it's kind of problematic that there were a lot of conflicting reports out there, first of all, mm-hmm. because, yep. you know, I can't really figure out if Portis threw the lone punch or if it was a punching match and then Portis just connected. Uh, so I would need some clarification on that. It, it seems like we haven't really gotten like a specific outline of what happened, which is typical Bulls, by the way. Um, if Portis mm-hmm. did throw one punch and Nico didn't throw any punches, then it's, I mean, then it's even worse than, than it, sh- that it is right now. Then Portis eight game suspension is just ridiculous and it should be a hell of a lot more. But if they were both into like a punching match and Portis disconnected and it wasn't like a sucker punch, like it's, oh, there's so many layers to this. I really don't know what to say about it because we just don't know exactly what happened. But either way, when you break two bones in a person's face and that guy also get a concussion, it's pretty bad. So I would say eight games is definitely on the low end. Uh, I personally would have evaluated Miritich, created a timeline and then said, you know what, Bobby, you're out until Nico is better. That would seem to be fair for all sides. But that's, I mean, again, I don't know what happened specifically because no one is really going into the details of it. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's fair. And and look, when it first surfaced, I was very strong. I was pretty keen for Portis just to leave the team straight away and mm. wanting the boys to, uh, sorry, the Bulls to rip up his contract and just void that thing straight away. And that probably was a bit of a strong emotional take from myself the minute the news sort of surfaced on on opening night just before basketball re-emerged um typical balls for it to sort of happen at that point <laughs> yeah. um but you know backpedaling from that a little bit i still feel like the eight games was way too soft particularly yep. particularly the fact that miritich is out four to six weeks that's the the loose timeline it could be more it could be less who knows at this point but i, I it just doesn't sit right with me at all that in roughly two weeks or so Bobby Portis will be back playing basketball, will be re-establishing himself as the backup power forward to this team, whilst Miritich is still drinking his meals through a straw because he can't actually eat. It doesn't seem like it's uh, a fair justice there, if if, if that makes sense. So I think what you sort of outlined there probably was the fairest outcome, that maybe Portis sits out as long as Miritich sits out. But even that, like, I don't, I don't understand how this situation can be tenable moving forward. Um, Portis obviously had that interview or that press conference earlier this morning, my time, and pretty much alluded to the fact that he had reached out to Miritich, but obviously Nico hadn't come back to him, which was more than reasonable, I would say, given the guy just broke your jaw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but these guys are still going to be competing with each other in practice. They're obviously still playing the same position and will be trying to uh, get each other's minutes. So I don't see how this is going to be tenable for the Bulls moving forward. What what do you think they should be doing with Portis or Miritich? Miritich can't really be moved. He, he, he can't, he's got a no trade clause. Like he can ex, uh, accept a trade if he approves it, but in, in all reality, he has a no trade clause. Mm. Whereas Portis, I'm not sure if any team would actually want him after he's been throwing fists around. 
Do you think this situation is tenable for the Bulls? Do you think they should move one of them if they can at all? What, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, they're not going to do anything. Fred more or less said that. He was like, Yo, yeah. you know, those two guys are should figure it out themselves. We should take a hands-off approach, which is utterly ridiculous. I mean, if Which is was, part of the problem. Well, definitely. I mean, definitely a they, big part. <laughs> yeah. I mean... They, they got into it because there was no one there to stop them, I guess. And it could have been mm-hmm. a split... Uh, it could have been a situation that happened in a um, in a blink of an eye. So maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh there. But Hoiberg did say that in hindsight he wanted or he wished he could have intervened. But now he's sort of doubling down on that, as you say, by saying, "Oh, look, I'll let these two guys work him out together." He doesn't want to be the bridge that sort of joins these two to help correct this issue, which is um, again a little bit problematic in my opinion. Oh, yeah, no, I don't think it's just in your opinion. Like, objectively, that's just bad. That's bad coaching on any front. Like, however you slice it, it's just a bad idea. I can understand leaving guys to work out issues if it's just practice-oriented fisticuffs or whatever. But when it goes into this manner, you have to have the leader of the team, which is always the head coach, to come in and set a direction, sit players down, open the lines of communication and and work things out. Fred is not doing that. The Bulls, I mean, seems to be supporting him. Otherwise, I wouldn't, you know, believe that he came up with that uh, quote if they didn't have his back on it. So it's just a horrible situation from top to bottom. Um, I, I don't know what they should do. I think they should definitely try to shop Portis, as you said. However, like you also mentioned, he probably has zero trade value at this point in time. So if they could, I I really don't know if they could move him somewhere to for for virtually nothing, I, and I do mean virtually nothing, like a top fifty five protected second rounder. Then teams might be open to the idea, or they could just ship him to the D League for an extended period of time. Mm. I mean, I'm not sure. It's a tricky situation because have we really had a situation similar in the NBA before? I think I think this is the first one that's been this bad, um, but but if Nico comes back and he really has difficult a difficult time in playing with Portis, and they just don't interact well, then I think Portis should be the one to be waived if anything. But it has to. We have to learn exactly what happened though. Because apparently, yeah. you know, players were like, "Oh, but this was co- this was a long time coming." Both of them, you know, were when were had equal parts in this. I mm-hmm. think Joe Cowley. I know it's Joe Cowley, but even reported <laughs> that players said that that Portis didn't even need to apologize to him. So this yeah. is a weird thing. It's a very weird thing, and the lack of transparency for the Bulls obviously once again hinders our understanding of what's going on. Yeah, no, that's fair as well. So, look, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting once Porus is back. Um, he's obviously going to have a ton of pressure on himself to perform, to overcome this uh, scrutiny. And then um, once Miritich is back as well, it'll be even more interesting to see how this team functions. Hopefully, it doesn't implode on itself and make the, the tanking season even worse. That would be uh, quite, well, I was going to say comical, but it's probably not the right word. Um, but hopefully... They can manage their way through that, but I'm not sure, or, or I don't have a lot of faith in Hoiberg being the one to manage the relationships or the egos that are involved in this situation. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, 
a great start for the Bulls season off the court as always. <laughs> but uh, look, let's move to the stuff that's been going on the court. I think there has been a few positives from the two games that we've seen thus far. Bulls obviously losing both games, um, losing their opening game on the road to the Raptors by 17 points and losing their first home opener against the Spurs. So two tough teams, I guess, two teams that were top four in their respective conferences last year. So Bulls definitely weren't expected to win either of these games. But I think there were some positives from these two games. But let's let's talk holistically first. What have you noticed about the Bulls in terms of the, how they're how they're approaching this season in terms of the way they're playing versus what they did last year to this year? What have been the main things that you have noticed that have dramatically changed? Well, obviously, the three-point shot is being utilized a lot more. Um, And even even when I'm saying this, they're still like 20th in the league (laughs) when it comes to three-point attempts. But compared to last year, it's it's a pretty big improvement upon where they were. They're Mm -hmm. actively seeking out the three-point shot. Um, yeah. Having said that, I think Mark Deeks had a tweet last night, which I think it, it was meant in jest, but he had a point. He said, I don't think the Bulls have run a single play this game. Mm-hmm. And he said that yes. like yeah. before half, right before halftime, I think. And he's not necessarily wrong. It's like a high screen after someone comes off the, you know, the, the midcourt line. And then it's a pass to the wing, uh, mostly Justin Holiday, the receiver, and then just a spot up shot. Like it's, there's no real strategy. There's not a whole lot of drag screens going on. There's not a whole lot of this hoi ball fascination thing. Like it's just a lot of screens and shooting off curls. That's about it. Um, thankfully, Laurie Markinen stands out. And I know that people have been throwing around his low PER and whatever. It's two games. Don't yep. don't get it twisted. I mean, <laughs> what he's done is is fine. He's missed a lot of shots. That's he's a rookie. It's okay. But he's also connected on a lot of threes, and he seems to be a little bit better boarding so far. Not that I anticipate that becoming a thing, but I would prefer to see him grab more rebounds than I expect than not. And right now, fifteen and ten over two games. I mean, I'll take that. I didn't expect that at all. So if he can dig his feet deeper into the starting power forward slot from here on out, then that's a positive for the Bulls. And more importantly, it's a positive for him. And as you can tell, that's where my focus is because I do not wish good things upon this Bulls team at all. I want this team to just, whatever bad things could happen in terms of you know chemistry and on-court happenings, the better, because if it just takes the needle somewhat closer to the firing of guard packs, I'm on board. That's really my main objective for this season. Just get those buffoons out of office. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's my motivation. That's all my motivation. And of course, marketing being good. And so far, he's he's been decent for a 20-year-old shooter. So yeah, that's that's pretty decent. Robin Lopez has looked good and you and I talked yesterday on Twitter a little bit he might be playing so well because he won out <laughs> maybe maybe who knows or it, it, it's it's kind of strange because he is the best player on the team yeah. and if Robin Lopez is your best player on your team obviously your team is not going to be very good but um, look, he's playing awesomely thus far. He's obviously extended his shooting range. He put up, he's put up four threes already this season. I think prior to this season, he'd only shot six or seven for his whole career over like six hundred and thirty games. 
Um, so he's clearly been working on his shot, and he's always had been a good uh, catch and shoot two point shooter. Yeah. Um, up around that twenty feet mark, so he's obviously extended out past twenty three feet. Uh, but yeah, he's playing really well, and I'm obviously hoping he maintains this. Um, as much as Lopez is a, a great veteran and an awesome character to have around a team, he's just he's the right player to have on a team just at the wrong time for this ball squad. So I'm hoping he can maintain his level of play so they can ship him out for a pick of sorts. But um, yeah, I'm really liking this Lopez and Markin combination. I think that has been the shining light for the Bulls thus far to the start of this season. Both look like they're on the verge of double doubles every night, and I think Lopez is really the perfect big to help complement and sort of mentor Markinen through the early stages of his career. And I, I, I want to trade Lopez for a pick, but at the same time, there are definitely benefits in keeping him around to, like I said, mentor Markinen through the early stages of his career. So that has been interesting. Um, what else have you seen that you've liked? Any other players that have stood out from you through two games? I was. This is kind of disappointing. I was hoping Jerry and Grant would take a bigger step forward in his development. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, we're just a couple of games into the season, so things could change. But he hasn't looked as aggressive as I thought he'd be. He campaigned prior to the season that he wanted to win Most Improved Player, and. I actually thought that this was the time for him because to me, he's the clear cut best point guard on the roster. This whole, mm-hmm. oh, it should it be him, Chris Don, Cameron Payne debacle, I think is ridiculous so far. Grant should be the de facto starter and, and the best guy at the point guard slot. And, and I thought he would embrace that a lot more. And so far, it's been a lot of weird jump shots and, and, hesitant play and not really seeing him taking on that role that he supposedly wants for himself uh but again i mean you can go down the roster and talk about disappointments i mean so far justin holiday 29 percent from the field again denzel valentine not really finishing a layup just primarily becoming a shooter while sips for 36 percent from the field you mentioned something correct on twitter which i hadn't thought about last night which was cristiano felicio has been pretty bad both in preseason and now i don't think this team is really built to play on his strengths and that's a great point k felder Mm -hmm. is turning the ball over constantly Uh, it's just man it's it's a show but it's not a show in a good way yeah and look this is the complicated thing with trying to i guess analyze a team like the bulls not just because it's only been two games but the fact that you have so many young players extending themselves past roles that they're actually capable of playing. And I, I can feel a narrative already growing against Jerry and Grant at the moment that he's obviously not a point guard, that he's a bad NBA player, he's this, he's that. And look, I don't personally think Jerry and Grant is an NBA point guard. I think he's more of a combo guard off the bench. But at the same time, I think of the options that they do have, as you mentioned, he is the best option. Um, I know Dunn is the new the new point guard in town and people sort of may not have necessarily watched him play last year or uh, completely writing it off as Tom Thibodeau's fault or whatever it may be. But uh, I think Jerry and Grant is the best option at point guard. But Grant is an example of guys having to extend themselves in terms of playing a role that they can't. And, and that, in a sense, will um, push them towards failure. But then, like you said with Felicio, you've also got a guy there who's 
playing exclusively in the second unit, and the Bulls' second unit is just atrocious at this point, given Levine is out, um, obviously Dunn is out, and Miritich and Portis are both out. So that second unit of, of the Bulls, and I was going to ask you this a little bit later, it's completely weak at this point. So someone like Felicio who can't create, yeah, he's been terrible because of that, but how much of it is Felicio is a bad player versus how much is this guy destined to fail given the situation he's in? So, um, like I said, I was going to ask you about the second unit, so we may as well talk about it now given where we, we just raised it then. I mean, what the hell can the Bulls do with this second unit at this point? Like <laughs> yeah. like I mentioned before, Portis is out eight games, Miritich is out four to six weeks, Levine won't be back until end of November, December, let's call it. So that, that's quite a while that three guys that are part of the rotation are out. Can the Bulls actually do anything at this point to improve their second unit, or is it, is it just going to be brutal up until these guys come back? Maybe. So here's the thing. I know he wasn't drafted, and that it doesn't really bode, bode well for his future, but and Antonio Blakeney, who the Bulls have on a two-way deal, mm-hmm. I, I've, I saw him quite a bit at LSU, <clears throat> and I'm very optimistic about his future, even with his defensive shortcomings. This guy is as as athletic as they come. He's got a developing three-point shot, and he seems to be the type of guy who can insert a lot of energy into a basketball game. And if yep. that was one thing that we saw was missing from the Bulls' second unit, <clears throat> my apologies, it's energy. You don't really have that mentality of let's just let's run the ball. Let's make something happen. It, I mean, look, against Toronto, they trotted out a lineup that was Ryan Archidiacono, Quincy Pondexter, David Nwaba, Paul Sipser, and Cristiano Felicio, I think it was, which is just, no, that's just, <laughs> no, just don't ever, I I don't ever want to see that again. That's just horrific. No, um, yeah. I, I would probably give Antonio Blakeney David Nwaba's minutes right now, even though he's been rebounding terrifically, by the way. Um just to insert more offense because Blakeney is sort of a natural scorer. I think he could lift the team up just a little bit off that energy and scoring prowess. But in terms of fixing the bench, now you you probably need Zach Levine coming back so you could get so you could move, you know, Justin Holiday or someone like that to the bench and and have some offense from there. The thing is, if Justin Holiday improves, which I'm sure he will because no one's going to shoot 29% for the season. Uh, do you take him out of the starting lineup when Sack comes back? Or do you slide him to the three and take Sipster to the bench? Yeah, it's a good question. I think you leave Holiday in there. Um, Holiday's definitely a better player than Sipser, um at this point for sure. So I personally would leave Holiday in there. And if he is the leader of this team, so-called leader of this team as it's sort of been branded about in the offseason, I think, I think he has to start at small forward. And given he's a good defender, I think it sort of makes sense to have him paired with Levine and then have Zipsa be that defensive wing on the second unit with whoever they put at shooting guard, probably Valentine behind uh, Levine. So I, I would keep Holiday in there um, with Zipsa on the bench, but I, I can sort of see what you're saying. But um, look, the, what I've really noticed with this Bulls team is the fact that they've got no one that can actually penetrate with the ball in hand. Um, I've seen Jerry and Grant, and again, um, I feel like I'm defending him a little bit, but something I can't defend him on is his, um, he has this propensity to, when there is a switch, instead of 
passing it into the mismatch. So it, let's, let's say Markkinen's our power forward and the team's opposition defenses are switching at this moment because teams do not scare, are not scared of the ball actually being able to dribble the ball and they're switching to get Markkinen um, to, also to have someone constantly on Markkinen so he doesn't have a shot. And, and what that's doing is a big man gets switched on to someone like Jerry and Grant and what the team is doing is they're clearing out and he's sort of saying, no, 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 I've got this. I'm going to ISO this big man and I'm going to try and take him off the dribble, but he obviously can't do that. And Grant can't do that. I don't think Dunn can do that. No one else really on this team can actually put the ball on the floor, dribble through the lane and create some offense. So that's been the most glaring thing that I've noticed on this Bulls team thus far, that they've got no one on the roster at this point that can consistently do that. I guess Kay Felder can do that a little bit. He's popped in the last game and a half because... You know, the Bulls literally have no one that can do that. So he has looked like he he's someone that possibly can. And I sort of, that's why I don't mind your Blakeney um, suggestion. But, I mean, we're talking about some bad NBA players here that I guess they look a little bit better than what they are because the rest of the team just has no ability to break down um, the defense at all. Do you think Do you think that's too much of a burden for Levine to, to, to sort of, or what we're asking of him to do in terms of almost running to the offense as well as being a guy that's coming back from the ACL himself. Yeah, absolutely. We should take it really easy with him. I mean, and and the bullshit too, like because you, we as commentators are going to judge him if he fails when he returns. And that's sort of like what people are doing to to Felicio right now. Yeah. I I mean the Bulls should definitely be cautious when he comes back because one thing is he's going to be the primary playmaker as well, just by default. Yes. Because yeah, and that that falls more on Denzel Valentine. Like I thought when he came into the league that okay, he was at least going to be able to be a reliable playmaker because he was at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. He has shown no indication of this whatsoever. He has his ball handling has just been negated in the NBA compared to what it was in college. He. When seems body up on him, he immediately passes it forward because he knows he doesn't have the creativity or the athleticism to do anything with it. So you you have to like find something else so Levine isn't stuck in what I call the Derek Rose situation, where yeah. it's all about one guy. And this again has been a problem for the Bulls for years. They keep going to that one guy. First it was Rose, then they traded him, then it was Butler, and it's just it's always one guy who has to take care of so much of the offense, and it's just—it's it was a bad idea for years, and it's still a bad idea right now. Um, what can they do? I, I, I guess keep giving Markinen a bigger role. I think Markinen can attack off the three-point line if he gets like the pick and pop, and someone rushes out to him. He is nimble enough to drive around the guy who's trying to close out on him, but that's not a viable option for a full. NBA game like you can't complement that so many times during an NBA game so again I'm looking at Jerry and Grant I'm also looking at Chris Dunn I'm looking at Kay Felder uh maybe Antonio Blakely as I mentioned earlier and Portis I suppose or Nico Nico was really good at, at going to the basket under tips remember you had it like an insane free throw rate because he was a nimble ball handler Maybe if Nico comes back and plays in a more open system, he would actually be able to take care of the ball a little bit more and actually take some punishment that Sack doesn't have to. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a fair point. And look, this goes back to a point that I've raised 
a bit in the off season, but and we could sort of see this coming along as it's sort of happened in the last two games, the fact that the Bulls don't really have an option at point guard, a traditional option at point guard, and someone that can create offense for others, particularly marketing, which is crucial. But it won't happen, but I think the answer here is I'd like to see the Bulls invest in a veteran point guard of sorts. Obviously, we saw Jameer Nelson get picked up yesterday by the Pelicans, and that's all the Bulls need, someone like that to help steady the second unit and particularly when playing with marketing. As I mentioned before, Grant isn't a traditional point guard. I don't think Dunn is, is good enough to be that either. But someone that can steady the offense and not necessarily break down the offense, but has the, the guile and the ability to know the angles in pick and roll to start creating some offense for others. So I know this won't happen because the Bulls already have about 19 point guards on their roster already. But um, I would have liked them to invest in a veteran point guard to help them ease their way through this rebuilding season. And, and to that point, through two games, the Bulls are averaging 20 assists at this point, but more importantly, 19.5 turnovers. So that assist-to-turnover ratio is not good. And obviously, a young team, you would expect high turnovers, but because they don't have anyone really capable on the wings or particularly a point guard, there's, there's just no creation um, happening at all. So, oh, will you stop beating around the bush? You want Kirk back? <laughs> well, I thought uh, I thought Archie was going to be my Kirk, but he, he got the swift chop. Yeah, uh, Fred did not like what he saw from him in, in the Toronto game, which is fair enough. And um, yeah, I think Archie will be going back to the Windy City Bulls, unfortunately. But um, yeah, look, who, who knows? But uh, I'll tell you something: I wouldn't mind Kirk back. You heard it here first. I mean, I've never been a Kirk fan. I wouldn't mind. Get the band back together. Like, hey, you know what? Get Luol Dang off the Lakers for an asset. Maybe a Julius Randle or whatever. Sign Ben Gordon. Get Kirk Heinrich back in the fold. Come on. Get some nostalgia going. That's how you sell tickets, damn it. Yeah, well, bring Nachi only back out of retirement. Yeah. Out of it. Look, I kind of think there is going to be a, a, a little bit of a chance that Loldang will be a bull by the end of the season. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that will go down. The Lakers are definitely going to be needing that that cap space. The Bulls are one of those teams. There's very few of them that actually have a lot of uh, cap space open. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that Loldang will be a bull again, particularly the fact that the Bulls have virtually no options on the wing and. Um, they're fishing for a first-round pick of sorts in taking on some salary. So I wouldn't be surprised if Deng's back. Uh, Gordon Heinrich, nah, mate. I think the I think that ship has sailed. It's kind of sad that we go back to that one because it's that's that's where I'm at. When I think back at, at the good old times with the Bulls, I'm not even thinking about the Derrick Rose MVP campaign. That that's the second. The one that I'm thinking about is the good old Kirk, Ben. Lou, Noach, Skiles era, because that was fun. I mean, you had six rookies on that 0-4-0-5 team. They went 0-9 to start the season and made the playoffs 47-35. Ben Gordon, the first rookie ever to win six man of the year. I remember being so hyped about that team. And yeah, ever since then, it's just gone down, man. It has. And, and you know, the other good thing about that team was you didn't have to listen to Stacey King and Neil oh, Funk. Yeah. Oh, now, yeah. We'll wrap this podcast up, but the last question or the last point I wanted to raise to you is Quincy Pondexter. The guy almost died, hasn't played basketball for effectively two and a half years. 
he comes back playing his first game against Toronto Raptors. Um, and, and what does Neil Funk call Quincy Bondex as he enters the game and as he's playing the game? But he refers to him as his last name as Quincy Poindexter. I mean, come on, Neil. Come on, Neil. What are, what are you doing? Oh, oh, I'm so did glad you hear that, that? I, I did not because I make it an effort to uh, listen to, to other teams' uh, oh, okay. announcers because I have that ability with the league pass. I think you do too. I always yeah. choose the opposite broadcasting booth. Unless it's the Celtics and I know Tommy Heinsohn is calling the game, then I'm sticking with Neil and Stacy for just one game here and there. But, I mean, it's I was forced to listen to those guys for a preseason game. And it was brutal. It It's so bad. And it's kind of a joke I've been running for a year when I say that it's every level of the Chicago Bulls infrastructure. So it's ownership, it's management, it's coaching staff, it's roster, it's commentator booth. Like it's everything needs a, a, just a hot new haul, a complete rehaul. Um, I hope that Neil steps away soon so he can get the help that he needs. <laughs> I mean, it's so bad. Look, I don't want to be mean to the guy, but I oh, mean, I do. How how hard can it be to confuse Pondexter yeah. and Poindexter? Come on! I mean, come on! Look for the past three years. The, you know, a guy could be taking a twenty footer, and Neil has said, "And that's a long three. No, Neil, it's a twenty footer. <laughs> Shut up! It's not. It's not accurate. You're not calling the game accurately. It's just so bad." And and Stacy King is just living off hype all the time, and uh, people who think he's funny. You know, more power to you. Glad you're entertained. I don't. I don't see the attraction at all. I don't see smart analysis. I don't see you know the color commentary that is supposed to be intriguing and enlightening. I'm seeing someone who is trying to break down very very simple pick and rolls because that's what he can do, and not a damn thing else. So, um, yeah, I the commentator team is just is brutal, and I feel bad for for Pondexter because. He had a good game against Serrano, and it was wonderful to see him be aggressive. It was wonderful to see him get on the court. You could just see the glee from him when he came in and played. I mean, that yeah. energy he brought, that was wonderful. That was really wonderful. That was a good moment for him. Well, he's, he's just a good story in general. Coming mm-hmm. back, he, like I said, he almost, he almost well, he had a near-death experience effectively. And yeah. just to be on the basketball court after that and all the knee issues that he's he's had, it's it's an awesome story, but... Yeah, I had to ask you about the the point extra thing because, God, it's been irritating me. But um, look, (laughs) we'll end on that note because I'm going to get frustrated if we keep going. Um, (laughs) Look, I think it's going to be an interesting season for the Bulls. I think there's some positives there, but overwhelmingly there will be a negative season. But they're tanking, which is what we want to see. But um, look, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a while since we've talked and maybe we can do it again as the season progresses and once Levine is back, once Portis and Mertic is back and that dynamic is sort of playing itself out, out rather, maybe we can get together again and, and uh, have a bit of a chat and how the balls are progressing. Hopefully it's a little bit more positive uh, in November and December, but uh, we shall see. I'll be looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Mark. No worries, man. And, and let everyone know where they can follow you on Twitter and the like. Yeah, you can follow me on... MSJNBA on Twitter 
fairly simple. And I run a podcast with Brian Zaporik and Sarah Chilea called The NBA Podcast. You can find us on Twitter uh, at The NBA Pod. Um, and I also write for people breakdown on rare occasions. And I'm associated with FanRack Sports. So go check them out at FanRack and FanRack NBA. Yep. Do that and subscribe to the NBA pod. Probably one of the most underrated pods out there. NBA-based podcasts out there. So uh, do that. So thanks again, Mort. Thank you, Mark. Take care, man. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.